Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good to have you. Welcome to church. Uh, really good to see all of you guys. And if you are new, if you're just checking things out, I am Bert, one of the pastors here. Great to have you with us. Today, we are wrapping up a message series called Starting Point, week eight of an eight-week series. And if you've been with us along the way, we've covered a lot of ground, uh, co- covered a lot of stuff, which I'm just, uh, this has been such joy to be involved in this message series. It's been a lot of fun to collectively press reset together. Before I say another word, though, I want to apologize to you in advance. My, my voice is not quite at 100%. I'm somewhere in the mid-80s, I feel like, right now in terms of percentage, uh, and it tends to drop if the first service is any indicator. So I'm not entirely sure. I'll still have it for the third service, so I'm not going to be out in the hallway greeting everybody. Uh, I'm not sick. I just have a, my voice is scratchy, which I know is what everyone says when they are sick, but I'm actually not. So that's my story. So just have a scratchy throat. Um, but here's the deal. If you weren't here for the first parts of this series, we began with a very simple premise When we were kids, we picked up a framework for our faith. When we were little, you know, whether you went to uh, church or Sunday school or temple or mosque or synagogue or, or whether you just picked it up on your own, we started believing some things when we were kids, you know, that God loves us and God answers prayer and God rewards good people and punishes bad people, so you should be good. And we started believing these things right, probably right around the same time we started believing in Santa Claus. We picked up this framework for our faith. And it's not that the framework we picked up was false. It's just that for most of us, we grew up into adults. And the rigors of our adult life and the challenges of our adult life and the stress and the pain that we faced over the course of our lives, that little, that little faith framework didn't really stand up. So for a lot of people over the years, that faith framework got chucked. They never really gave up on God. They just kind of gave up on church and the framework that packaged it felt like it had failed us somewhere along the way, felt like it just didn't work anymore. So what we're trying to do now together as a group of adults is say, how do we press reset? How do we find a new starting point for our faith? What is it we actually do believe together? And if you're seeking and you're, you're trying to figure it out, you're in the right place. So week two, we talked a little bit about the difference between being a mistaker and a sinner, right? A a sin being a mistake that you make on purpose, something we all do. We talked about how, how that breaks the relationship between us and God, the same way your children damage the relationship between you and them when they lie to you or steal from you or scream at you or curse at you or treat you a certain way. In week three, we talked about righteousness, how how, how, how we, we get to a place where we're okay with God, how we come to a place where, and this is true in every major religion in the world, at some point people ask, well, how am I, how am I doing? You know, how am I measuring up? Am I, am I getting it right? Am I doing good? Am I on my way to heaven or, or nirvana or a good next time around in life if reincarnation is your thing? You're like, am I doing okay? How am I measuring myself? And what we picked up early on in the scriptures is that righteousness, I mean, from way back in the day with Father Abraham, Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. Out of the gate, I mean, from Jump Street, righteousness to us comes as a function of what we believe, not as a function of what we do. 
Then we asked, so what's with all the rules? If, we, if we're saved by our faith, what do we do with all the rules? And we talked about how when God lays out guidelines for us, we, we zeroed in on the Ten Commandments, but you can apply this to any place in the Scripture. This is God not saying, you better obey these rules or else. You better obey these rules or you don't get to be a part of the thing. This is God saying, you're already part of the thing. And this is how we do things in our family. It's a totally different tone. We covered a lot of ground. Two weeks ago, Daniel jumped up, gave us an amazing uh, sermon on grace. Last, year we heard from, last week, we heard from Joe Arico. Let's clap it up for these two guys. They killed it. Nice work. Mm. And today, we're wrapping this series up with a claim that Jesus made, a prediction that Jesus made that I think totally bears out who he is and who he was. Jesus makes predictions before his death and resurrection that we are fulfilling today. So in the Gospel of Matthew, we find that Jesus and the apostles are kind of wandering around through the countryside, and they come to a place called Caesarea Philippi. I'm going to show you a photo of Caesarea Philippi. This is what it looks like today. Not a lot going on in Caesarea Philippi. They used to have a Chili's and a Dave and Buster's, but they closed. So. They're coming to this place called Caesarea Philippi, and Caesarea Philippi was unusual simply because it had recently been renamed. Uh, Caesarea Philippi used to be called Panaeus, and they just renamed it because of the death of Caesar Augustus. And so they named it Caesarea Philippi after him. And it was like anything else that gets renamed. From time to time, especially in the, in the New York area, we rename things, right? I, growing up, it was always the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. Now it's the Hugh L. Carey Tunnel or whoever. And I'm, I'm sure Hugh is a nice guy, but I don't know who that is. So, you know, like you, bridges get renamed, highways get renamed. He's, oh, are you going to take that tunnel? Yeah, no, no, no. Now it's the this tunnel, you know. So things get renamed. The city got renamed, and they're coming up on Caesarea Philippi, and, and all the guys are probably like, oh, yeah, here comes Pontius. Here's that city. And somebody probably went, oh, no, 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 no. It's not Pontius anymore. It's Caesarea Philippi. It's a new name. Oh, what'd they name it like that for? Oh, yeah, because they believed Caesar was a god. They believed he was actually descended from deity. <clears throat> and then Jesus asks a really interesting question. They're talking about Caesar and uh, who he is and who people think he is. And then Jesus asks a very, very bold question. Try this with your friends. He says, uh, what do people say about me? Guys, who do people say that I am? What's, what's, what do they say on the street? What do people say when I'm not around? Try that with your friends. Hey, what do people say about me when I'm not around? It takes guts to ask that question. So he asks them, fellas, yeah, they're saying Caesar. They're saying Caesar is descended from deity. Who do people say that I am? And Peter doesn't hesitate, man. He, Peter's like, <laughs> Peter blurts out. Like he doesn't even twitch. Peter just hits this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. 
So Peter blurts out, hey guys, what do people say about me? What do people say I am? Peter's like, you're him. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And you can almost hear him. Jesus stops. He goes, you didn't come up with that on your own, Pete. You didn't come up with that on your own. My heavenly father revealed that to you. And you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And now people argue for centuries, you know, is Peter the rock upon which Jesus is going to build the church? Is the fact that Jesus Christ is the son of God the rock upon which God will build the church? Some people think Dwayne Johnson is the rock. It's awkward. These are important theological questions, but not for now. So, Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And he uses a very specific word. He uses the word ekklesia, the Greek word ekklesia. Upon this rock, I will build my ekklesia. Now, you don't speak Greek, so that's a new word to you. The word ekklesia is not a religious word. The word church is a religious word. The word ecclesia simply meant gathering. Upon this rock, I will build my gathering. In the first century, if a bunch of people were going to the movies, it was an ecclesia. If a bunch of people were hanging out uh, for a meal, uh, doing something together, it was an ecclesia. If a large group got together, it was an ecclesia. It didn't mean anything religious, it just meant a gathering. So now Jesus is talking to his 12. He's got these guys and he's like, upon this rock, I'm gonna build my ecclesia. I'm gonna build my gathering. And that must have sounded funny to them. That must have been like weird, right? I mean, they're, they're with Jesus. They're in the middle of nowhere. It's 12 of them. They're in Caesarea Philippi. They're nowhere. And, and there must have been a couple of guys going, That's, this is it, this is the gathering. Dude, the chili's closed. We can't even get appetizers. What's, this is... This is it, this is our thing, this is gonna be the, the, the auspicious beginning of a thing. Yeah, yeah, and Jesus isn't predicting, understand this and get it right, because this is huge. Through what some would call a tragedy of translation, the word ecclesia was rendered into English through a derivative of a German word, the German word kirka. The German word kirka gives us the word church. But the word kirka means house of the Lord, so many have rendered that word church into a building. Like when you, it's why when you drive past a church building, you say, that's a church. That's a church, that's not an ecclesia. These words are different. This is a huge distinction that we need to get our heads around. Jesus wasn't predicting a place, he was predicting a people. I will build my ecclesia. I will build my people. I will build my gathering. And for the 12, they're like, okay, cool. That sounds great. We believe, we're there, we're, we got it. And that was awesome. And this, this found some momentum. This idea found some momentum. But man, I'm gonna tell you, it came to a screeching halt the day of the resurrection. I mean the day of the crucifixion. The day of the crucifixion, this all stops. Up to that point, these guys are like, he's the Messiah, he's the Messiah, he's the Messiah. There's signs and wonders. I mean, the things he says, the way the, way the authorities are reacting to him, the way he's taking on the authorities. 
All of this stuff is like pointing in the same direction and we believe he's the one. We believe he's actually God's chosen. We, we're, we're actually coming to believe he's the Messiah. And then man, the crucifixion comes and Jesus, and you, if you come to church here any given Easter Sunday, you hear us talking about this, they all lost faith. I mean, if you could touch any one of these guys, if you could, if you could interview any one of these dudes on that Saturday, the day after Jesus is crucified, you would find somebody broken and, and, and wretched and miserable. These dudes would look you in the eye and go, I don't know how we got it so wrong. I don't know how we got it so wrong. We were so sure he was the one. We were so sure he was the Messiah. And now, obviously that's over. There's not going to be an ecclesia. There's not going to be a gathering. No one's going to want to get together to talk about this. And that should have been the end of it. That should have been, it should have been over and done. And Jesus should have evaporated back into history and vanished from our sight like any one of a million different religious leaders that have come and gone. That should have been the stop of it. That should have been the period at the end of the sentence for this silly little Galilean cult. That should have been it, and none of us should have ever heard of Jesus again, except something else happened, except that wasn't a period at the end of the sentence. It was an ellipsis, it was a pause, there was more to come. A couple of weeks later, these guys are back out in the streets, these broken, jacked up, like, like wretched men are back out in the streets of Jerusalem saying a very simple four-part message. You killed him, God raised him, we saw him, say you're sorry. That's what he brought, that's what these guys brought. You killed him, God raised him, we saw him, say you're sorry. Now what was it that transformed these people? And this wasn't happening decades later. This was happening in real time during the lifetime of people who were there who would have been able to call nonsense on all this. These are people that would have been able to refute what was being said. This wasn't a small group of people. People in large numbers now are coming to believe that he actually rose from the dead. What was it that flipped the switch? How did it come to be? Why didn't Christianity vanish from the map? It wasn't because of conspiracy theories that came later. It was because a group of men early on believed that he had risen from the dead. And I think the reason they believed that he rose from the dead is because he rose from the dead. It's really hard to explain this part of history away through any other lens. Jesus later, speaking to, to his disciples, says this. This is Matthew 28, beginning at verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then he left. That is what happened. He says, I am with you to the end of the age. Later, and he, he ascends. Okay, so 
Jesus says to his disciples, all authority has been given to me on heaven and, heaven and on earth. That is an arrogant statement. We just evaluate that at face value. That's an arrogant thing to say. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I have all authority in both of these realms. I'm in charge. It's an arrogant thing to say unless you have recently risen from the dead. If you recently rose from the dead, it's fine to say that. You predict your own death, predict your own resurrection, and pull it off. You can say stuff like that. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. You go and make disciples. Move this thing forward. Go into all the world and make disciples. And for two years, that's exactly what happened. These guys went out and they, 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 they began things. These ecclesias started. These little gatherings began. And people started to believe. And they started to put their faith in Jesus, not in their own righteousness, but in him for the forgiveness of their sins. And after about two years, it kind of stalled out. It kind of just ceased to have traction for a minute. And God, perhaps, had a conversation with Jesus, not recorded for us in the Bible, which maybe went like this. Son, come here. Yeah, what's up, Dad? Well, this thing you started, the ecclesia thing, yeah, it's not doing so good. You said go into all nations, and I think maybe they heard neighborhoods. They're just kind of sticking in the neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah, they're just sort of, it, 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 it hasn't found its way out from the borders of the thing. Yeah, I've been watching that, I know. It's a little disappointing. It's okay, we got the plan working. We need a little juice. We need a little adrenaline shot. This thing needs a shot in the arm. Let's talk about what happens next. We need somebody who can be a catalyst for this movement. We need somebody who can move it forward. The 12 that you chose, they were ignorant. Like, good guys, nice guys, but not really educated. We need somebody educated now. We need somebody with some clout. We need somebody with some credentials. A Roman citizen, perhaps, would be good. Somebody who people will take seriously. Somebody with some force. Somebody with a personality. Somebody with some charisma. Somebody who knows how to get things done. Won't take no for an answer. We kind of need, like, somebody who can kick some butt. How about this guy? And Jesus goes, Saul of Tarsus? Dad, he hates us. He hates us. Like, he's down there persecuting people who believe in us. He's trying to make sure there are no ecclesias. He's trying to shut down the ecclesia. I don't think that's our guy. No, no, no. He's good. He's awesome. He's a one-man wrecking crew. I like him. <laughs> Recruit him. Go get him. Now, I don't know if that's what God and Jesus said to each other, but I do know this, an, an interval of time later, the apostle, the, the man who will become the apostle Paul is on his way to persecute some Christians on the road to Damascus, and the risen Jesus appears to him and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul of Tarsus, the, the Pharisee, the one who hated Christianity more than anybody on the planet, became the one to start churches all throughout Asia Minor and Europe. If you're a skeptic, Saul of Tarsus is very difficult to explain away. There's no other explanation for Saul of Tarsus. There's no other explanation for what happened. So now Saul of Tarsus says to the other 11, okay, you guys got Jerusalem? He said Jerusalem and Judea to the ends of the earth. You guys take Jerusalem, I'll take the rest of it. And Saul began to travel throughout Asia Minor and everywhere he went, he started these little ecclesias. These little, these, little, these little gatherings began. 
They, they, they started and they, and they were centered around the idea that Jesus had risen from the dead. Paul didn't go throughout Asia Minor and re-preach the Sermon on the Mount. He wasn't hitting them with the Beatitudes. This wasn't love your neighbor as yourself. There, this, was, this, this was not about the teachings of Jesus. In point of fact, Paul's letters predate the Gospels. A lot of people don't know that because you think, well, the Gospels come first in the New Testament. Nah, Paul's letters were written first. Paul's not re rehashing Jesus' teachings. Paul's going out with a very simple message. He rose from the dead. And, and, and salvation is not found in behavior. Salvation is responding to Christ's work by believing in him, putting your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins. So wherever Paul goes, these little ecclesias begin, these gatherings start happening, and these, these churches, as we understand them, start to form, not buildings, people. And that's where we met Paul in week one. Do you remember Athens? Do you remember week one? Paul's walking around the city of Athens on one of his journeys, and he sees all these different uh, idols. He sees all these different altars, and there's an altar to an unknown God, and he's taken to the Areopagus, the place where the scholars go, the place where the chief philosophers go to talk about, about things and to reason with one another and to have discourse, actual respectful discourse. Imagine that. So they, 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 they take Paul to the Areopagus, and Paul says these things to them. Sometime later, Paul finds himself back in Rome in prison, awaiting his execution. I've always thought it would be cool. Anybody here ever have like the, the daydream or the fantasy where you travel back in time and witness a historical event? <laughs> checking, you're awful quiet. Nobody's not silent, crickets, okay. <clears throat> Yeah, I've always thought it would be cool if I could jump in my DeLorean and head back. And if I could speak Greek. To slide up next to Paul as he was taken out for his execution. They marched him past Nero's circus. Nero's circus was an enormous it's nothing like a normal, it's not a circus. It's a, it was called Nero's Circus, but it's this massive oval-shaped structure. I mean, football fields long. Bigger than the Colosseum, where Nero fed Christians to wild animals. He threw Christians to lions and had them torn apart for entertainment. Emperor Nero would uh, crucify Christians in his garden and light them on fire to light his gardens at night. That was Nero. So Paul's walking past Nero's circus, out past the forum to the place of his execution. It just would have been cool to slide up next to Paul and go, Paul, it worked. It happened, bro. It happened. These ecclesias, this thing you did that God did through you, it finds traction, it flourishes. Someday, crazy as this is gonna sound, Nero's circus is gonna come down. They're gonna, they're gonna execute Peter in there. The apostle Peter is gonna die in there, crucified upside down as, as tradition has it. And someday Nero's circus is gonna come down 
And in its place someday is gonna be what some would argue is the most beautiful building on planet Earth. St. Peter's Basilica is gonna be right here. And as you walk through the streets of this city, Paul, it's hard to see it now. There are gonna be crosses on all the buildings someday. And they won't be there to commemorate Roman crucifixion. They'll be there to commemorate one very specific Roman crucifixion, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. When you walk through this city, this is gonna be crazy. It's crazy for you to, 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 to get, it around, get your head around it, I understand. Uh, it, it'll, be, it'll be hard for you to, to understand it, but the Holy Roman Empire is gonna come to an end. The Roman Empire is done. Like, that's hard for you to get, Paul, because it's all you've ever known. But the Roman Empire is gonna cease to exist. But the ecclesia lives on. The gatherings live on. And these letters you've been writing, they're gonna get translated into more than a thousand different languages, Paul. It works. Someday people are gonna come to this city and they're not gonna say, where did Emperor Nero live? They're gonna say, show me the place where the Apostle Paul was imprisoned. The Roman Empire ceases to exist, but God's ecclesia flourishes and it finds traction throughout the world. And someday, Paul, people in my timeline will name their sons Peter and Paul and they will name their dogs Nero and Caesar. It worked. This thing you did worked. It would have been cool. I mean, I'm sure Paul had his eyes on the prize. I'm sure Paul had his eyes on heaven and he, he had all he needed in that moment. But it would have been cool just to whisper to him of what happened because here we are. This is the ecclesia. This is the thing that Jesus predicted. Not a place, a people. Broken, messed up, jacked up people led by a jacked up pastor here founded on one thing. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is risen from the dead and salvation is found not in behavior but by putting your faith in him. That's the ecclesia. That's what we're here to do and that's what connects us to every other ecclesia on this whole planet. Every believer, every denomination, every language, tongue, and tribe on this planet, we're connected by this truth. And here we are. You have been invited to play a part in a vast, amazing story. You've been invited to play your part in the gathering. What might that next step be for you? For some, it might just simply be to put your faith in him, to believe today that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and that, that righteousness for you is not a matter of balancing the scales and doing more good deeds than bad deeds, that righteousness for you today is a matter of believing in Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf and receiving it. For others of you, it might be taking a step forward and getting baptized. It might mean serving somehow joining a community group, helping us keep the doors open financially by helping us reach other people. Or it could just mean 
whatever next step it is for you. What we're going to do now is receive communion together. Another thing that ties us to every other ecclesia throughout the world. So we're going to invite Eli on out, who has already anticipated being invited out. Nice work. Um, when you came in, you got one of these little guys. I want to invite you to take the top off of the wafer side. Don't open the other side first or you will regret it. And just as we prepare, I want you to quiet your hearts for a moment and think about the part that you've been given to play in God's amazing story. Think about the part you've been offered within the ecclesia, within the gathering, whatever that next step might be for you. Just think on that for a moment before we receive communion. Go ahead. And on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, take and eat. This is my body broken for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this and remember me, the body of Christ. Now you can unwrap the other side. And after the same manner, when he had given thanks, he took the cup and he gave it to them saying, take and drink. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this and remember me, the blood of Christ. Father, we are amazed, amazed that we get to play a part in your vast, amazing story. So honored that you've invited us in. That this thing that you predicted so long ago when you would build your church and the gates of hell would not stand against it. That was true, Father. And still to this day, the gates of hell cannot stand against a group of people gathered, focused on you and praising your name. We're grateful that we get to play a part in your story, that we could be a part of this thing. Help each of us, Father, one and all, myself, everyone here, to play the part you've given us in your vast, amazing story. May that be true in my life. May it be true in all of our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word TRUENORTH to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.